right, thank you to all. It's a beautiful day we have today. Let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Paul, did you read Luke? Yes. You did? Well, good. We're going to read it again. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> We're going to get used to Luke chapter 2 today then. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the season. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all that you've accomplished in all of these years in making known to us Emmanuel, that is, God with us, showing yourself through Jesus Christ, the Son. Father, we'd ask that these moments before us would be not only good for us, but a blessing back to you. Father, we want to lift up your name and praise you above all, for you are sovereign and awesome, almighty beyond our imaginations in infinity and power and love. Now, Father, we'll ask that you would direct us in our thoughts Take us and use us, and may the Holy Spirit exclusively be our teacher this afternoon. We look to the Word with anticipation and looking to you with thanksgiving for all that you've provided. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That passage of Scripture is probably the most common, the most well-known, literally around the world, out of the Bible. There are many people that probably don't or aren't familiar with the Bible that would recognize that as it's read, literally, globally. 
Today I'd like to look at it, and we'll be moving around a little bit, uh, not just in Luke, but it'll get us started. I would like to tell you six ways to miss Jesus. Six ways to miss Jesus. And it's amazing that the same context that we'll use today, the scriptures, are the same ways we miss them, him today. It's amazing how things just cycle through. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born. That's uh, this passage that we read today. That world in which they found themselves living was certainly in turmoil as well. The Romans were in charge, famously. The Israelites were not happy about that. If you wanted to know that, just ask them. They hated the Romans with a passion. And, uh, and, and to think that they were under the control of such a wicked people, at least for, certainly from their perspective, uh, there was a lot of things going on. The, the ruler, which we actually saw his name in, in chapter 2 of Luke in verse 1, uh, Caesar Augustus, he was, uh, he was powerful and one sharp intellectual. He was, he was amazing, quite honestly. Um, I'm going to save him for just a moment, but um, there was things going on that was amazingly, it was perfect for Jesus to come. How do we know that? In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent his son. It was, it was the perfect time. It was better than 2020. I'm okay with Jesus coming back today, too, by the way. I'm ready to go. right? But at, for the first coming, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us specifically, Jesus came at exactly the right time. Now, if you think about it, the Hellenization of the world, that is, that the world was speaking in Greek, literally globally, as we would have known the world then, and then... The Roman Empire had built roads and infrastructure that was amazing for that time and age. And the other thing is, think of it this way. That world all being the Roman Empire, there was no places that really weren't open to traffic from any place. It was one nation, if you will, perfect for spreading the gospel. So the context and the time frame was absolutely perfect for Jesus Christ to come. And you say, well, you said you were going to tell us how they missed Jesus. Yes, I want to tell you how they missed Jesus, and we'll tie it in how we miss Jesus. It's amazing as we think about the Christmas season, of which I'm sure you're all engaged in. Um, it's sometimes so easy to become so busy about Christmas, we miss the meaning of Christmas. We miss Jesus, which is really the sole reason that we're here today, and really, literally, that the world should be on fire with happiness for what God accomplished through him. Well, not only is it a busy place today and all of the commercialization, and, you know, we, have, we can't only really get Thanksgiving out of the way quick enough, and we have a Black Friday. I guess that's what they call it, isn't it? You can go get all of your shopping requirements done and make yourself feel better about all the stuff you'll never know that you had or needed about three months from now, correct? It's amazing how much stuff there is out to buy that has no use or value Am I, am I encroaching? Am I getting a little bit too far out there in the shopping? Let me move on because we have stuff to do. But Future garage sales. Future garage sales, yes, yes, yes. And thank goodness, Danny as well, he loves this because the mini storage thing goes gangbusters because we've got stuff we can't keep all at home. Right, Dan? <laughs> you're, all, you're all on fire with this, aren't you? Absolutely. And you know, you think about all of the lights and all of the advertising, promotions, the sales events, 
the gatherings, well, maybe not as many gatherings this year, particularly in 2020 as we've been used to, but, but nonetheless, all of the hubbub and all, how could we possibly miss Christmas? How could we miss Jesus? Very easily. Very easily, just like we'll find for these today. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as, we, as we talk about maybe the timing as much of this event today, I'd like to take just a few moments. I don't want to get too far down this branch, but um, in the 4th century, uh, the Bishop of Jerusalem sent a letter to the Bishop of Rome and asked him if he could ascertain the birth date of Jesus. And upon some consternation, and not having a clue, came back and said, December 25th. And there is no evidence of that, absolutely none whatsoever. However, the Bishop of Rome was very key on having a principle because the pagan festivals during the what we would call the winter season, it was at its height in December, he wanted to essentially... Make it about Jesus. Make it about Christmas, if you will, that word that literally surrounds that. And he thought if we could make Christmas or Jesus the center of that, then we could pull away from some of the pagan festivities. Well, actually, it's added a a cloud of an amazing of integrated stuff, and it's easier to miss Jesus now than it's ever been able to miss him. And they didn't have all of those things going on in Luke chapter 2, but... It's amazing. The Romans, they actually had a festival of Saturnalia, which was the worship of the god of Saturn. He was the god of agriculture, and it was the time for them when the darkest, the shortest nights, I'm sorry, the shortest days, excuse me. And uh, it's, yeah, anyway, I got mixed up. But at any rate, all of that, they were, as they, as, uh, they were kind of like trying to move this on so the beginning of spring and the crops would come, and it was a worship or a festivities around this god of Saturn. They were, it was a lot of drunkenness, a lot of give. And by the way, this is where giving of gifts came to one another. They gave each other gifts, which typically were little tiny idols that were made anywhere from silver all the way down to clay. You're going to notice that a lot of these things are still with us today. Um, they were into evergreens. The Northland people, they had a, fest, a festival called Yule. You've heard of Yuletide. And they worshipped Odin and Thor. And if you're in Minnesota, that would be a very common theme there as well. East into the Persian area, they worshipped Mithra, a god of light. During this time frame, the Druids, uh, west of England, as we know it, uh, they had some surrounding, uh, should we say, festivities about mistletoe. They would go out in the forest and they would cut in fact, priests would lead them out, then they would cut a lot of mistletoe, bring it into the buildings, and then, you know, they would hang it high, and if anybody walked underneath, whether you like one another or not, they were to embrace and make friends. And we've added to that a little bit further. In Holland, uh, there was this really cool white-bearded guy that was such a nice gentleman, they called him St. Nick, Alas, He was, came to be known as Sinterklaas. And on December 6th, it was started out, he came and arrived on a white horse, and the kids had all of their wooden shoes, because this is in Dutch. This is in, this is in Holland, so obviously you wouldn't have stockings, you would have wooden shoes. You guys are not impressed by any of this, are you? But it's amazing how all of these things have come together. And it's, you know, it's ama- what my, my whole point, I'll go a little further yet before we give this up, but the point of the matter is it's amazing when we have all of this scatterings and all of these trappings, it's so easy for us to miss the truth. Our world is a lot that way today. 
Uh, you start Googling things on the internet, pretty soon you don't even know what you started Googling. Because <laughs> truth can become almost like an absent thought of what you really wanted to exercise in the sense of getting to the bottom of. And that's really what a lot of the Christmas things have become. Christmas cards, do you know what, this is a, this is a little, little trivia, well, do you know what year that Christmas cards be started? Hallmark, beautiful, what, what did you say? It was in the 1800s, 1846, a gentleman by uh, uh, Sir Cole, he happened to own an art shop, seemed a really way to make some money, and he decided to have someone make some cards, and he sold them, became actually very, obviously very famous. I'm convinced that my wife has sent out millions of Christmas cards over the years. And some of you have, and, and by the way, nothing necessarily wrong with that. It was interesting, though, again, at the beginning, 1846, that most all of those cards which he had printed, or that he made, the artwork was around drinking and partying scenes. We could go on, but what's, should we leave it there? Keep going. We need to know the history. Okay, we need to know the history. Um, actually, I'm out of goods for right now. <laughs> it was a good place to stop, but you guys are so good. And you were emboldened and said, go ahead, Larry, keep going. I, I know I did, and I thought, well, they, they've had enough, but apparently not, which is great, which is great. But there, it is amazing, though, that from all parts of the world, all of these festivals, these festivities, these paraphernalia, if you will, all kind of came together and merged together at this time frame. And back to the Bishop of Rome, he felt as wild and crazy as that is, let's bring, let's bring Jesus in the middle of that because then we will really get it. It'll, it'll just separate itself all out. Uh, not so much. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't? No, I'm not suggesting that at all. We should be worshiping the fantastic birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. For God literally showing us himself through a, a man, a baby, born of the Holy Spirit and a woman that is called God with us. For 33 years, he walked this earth with a mission in mind. We'll be getting into that in a moment. But if we don't hurry and get to the ones that missed Jesus... You will be here a long time, and then we'll be in trouble, okay? Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. The first one we find that missed Jesus, we find in verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Um, guys, how many of you have played the innkeeper at a nativity play no one's going to be bold enough to answer that you were the angel very good very good i played the innkeeper on a couple of different occasions and amazingly i did not forget my lines this was simple right he's dressed i guess however they were supposed to be dressed someone knocks on the door and he says no room and slams the door that's that's as much as we seem to know about this gentleman there was no room in the inn now, I can't go too far down this trail either, but we're not even sure exactly if it could have even been a family friend because let's keep in mind what happened now and why this is such a busy climactic time. This was a census that Caesar Augustus had brought upon the people of Israel 
And it's thought, I, I'm going to try to short this, shorten this up a little bit, that it was actually that first census was probably in 8 B.C. Now, being just, a, how much do you, how many, how many of you guys love the IRS and April 15th? Oh, ex- exactly, okay? Now, now, the other thing is, what if there wasn't an April 15th? What if they just send it whenever you're, when you feel good about it? Now you're liking this whole system, isn't it? Just do it when I feel like it. Nobody would say it. I believe that's exactly what happened to the urgency of this. Because let's think about this for a moment. Joseph and Mary, and I believe they were in their, they were teenagers. Can you imagine them just, you know, let's just take an 85 or 90 mile trip to Bethlehem. Because Now why was that? Because they were of the lineage of David. Bethlehem was where David's city was. That's where he was born. That's where the, the Judah would have come. The families would have come there. Okay, It's about 90 miles from Nazareth. Can you imagine how much glee and joy there would have been as something came in the mail? And you say, hey, it was no mail. Well, just stop. Wait with me. That decree said, you know what? We're done. We're done waiting for you people in Israel to get your act together and take a census. You have a deadline to meet. Or <coughs> I'm Caesar Augustus, and I'll take care of business. Why else would a father, a future father and future mother that's nine months pregnant get on a donkey and ride 90 miles away from her family, away from those she knew, away, right? There was a deadline, obviously, here that was, it's implied for us. And she gets into town. Now, how do we know that it's, it would be busy because everybody was under a deadline? Bethlehem would have been bustling. They would have been on fire. You talk about a shopping day on Black Friday. That would have been Bethlehem on this event, on this time frame. It would have been just busy, busy, busy. And full, full, full. I remember as a, I don't, I, I guess when uh, my family, mom and dad and we, you know, three, us three kids, I, I don't remember why, but we would go somewhere and it seemed like there was always no vacancy at night. Because we never, we never booked ahead. My dad wasn't like that. Because we didn't know where we were going to be. And, you know, you go, oh, no room there. Go back in the car. And, you know, as kids, you want to you get out in the first place, right? You want vacancy, and you want to just get out of the car. I remember some evenings, we went quite a while. We actually went further than we intended to go because of that. I can't imagine as Mary and Joseph would have arrived into Bethlehem. Oh, I bet she was feeling good. Right? She was so ready for rest. And Joseph would have checked, and I'm sure it's a number of places, and maybe it was even a family friend, and they said, we're full. Everybody's come. More than we thought would come because of the deadline. Again, I want, I want to make sure that, that that's very clear, I think, in, in the text here. And there's really no place for them. No place for them. And it's easy for us. Uh, the innkeeper is the one place to start because, obviously, he's the jerk of the whole group because there's no room in the inn for Jesus. And he was literally right underneath his nose, but him not knowing that, he responded just as somebody that probably had twice as many guests as he wanted or needed to keep them all happy. And here's one more. Now, I, I, I got nothing. Uh, we're full. Now, the first one that we find have missed Jesus probably has one of the best excuses. He was just flat too busy. And you're sitting there. That's a good excuse? 
<laughs> it's really not, especially for us today, because we know Jesus has come. We see him now. We have the Bible. We can have him revealed. But that man on that night was just literally ignorantly busy and preoccupied. And it's amazing how preoccupied we become with all kinds of stuff, isn't it? It's, it's truly amazing. Myself included. I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's amazing how preoccupied we become with things that really literally don't matter. And this, this man, this, this innkeeper, and again, I don't, we don't know anything about him. But the things that he was probably concerning himself with that night in five days meant very little. Isn't that amazing? And now thinking, now we're from this perspective. We're 2,000 years later and we just, oh, look at the chance, the opportunity you missed to literally have the Son of God to be born in your inn. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> he didn't even know. He had no idea. He had no idea. Now, I'm sure that Joseph, just because he seemed to be the humble sort of guy, do you think he came up and he said, Oh, but sir, listen to me very carefully. I had a dream, and this angel came and told me, he told me very clearly that my wife is going to have a baby. And you can tell that's pretty close. And I'm supposed to call him his name Jesus because he's going to be the savior of mankind. And the innkeeper says, Oh, well, of course we'll make room... I don't think Joseph would have even said that. Just let it go. Just let it go. The innkeeper was too busy, too preoccupied. Christ was squeezed out. Obviously easy for us as well. Our time, our possessions, sometimes takes so much energy and crowds out really important issues. Let me ask a question. Do we spend more time shopping during Christmas than we do adoring Christ? It's a good question. Well, let's go to the second one. Let's go back to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 2. We'll look at someone that's very, very different, very different, Matthew chapter 2, and let's look at verse 1. Matthew 2 and verse 1. We're going to be introduced to a gentleman, well, he's not really a gentleman, to be honest, but we're going to find that he missed Jesus. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and, diligently for the, for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Oh, this sounds good, doesn't it? Herod. Herod's the king. Let's talk about Herod for a moment, because you can almost see it even in this passage that he's fearful. He's out of control with literally jealous rage. 
You see, he wasn't even of Jewish descent. He was of an Edomenian family that was Edomites. His father's name was Antipor, uh, and he had himself ten wives, twelve children. And just to give you an idea of how suspicious this man is, this is, this is almost this is over the top and beyond. He had his wife killed, Maryam, which is the most famous of the ten wives. He had two sons that seemed to be too energetic, too forthgoing, and they looked like a threat to him, so he had his two sons killed. What kind of a freak is this? A one that's controlled completely by fear? Completely by fear. He is so out of sorts, afraid of someone that is going to take his place, because he did not have a worthy place to be in the throne. And there was no way he was going to let this little baby interfere with his political career, his power, his plans, his position. He was not at all interested in crowning him Lord. Does that sound familiar? Wow. The halls of Congress. At the highest levels of power across this world, there's a lot of Herod going on. Fearful of Jesus making an impact. Fearful of Jesus requiring them to call him Lord. Herod missed Jesus because of fear. That happens regularly. In verse 4 of the same passage we just read, we find another group of people that missed Jesus. These, to me, are even more over the top. Can't believe it. It's hard for me to get a grip. Uh, Let's say, slip into the sandals of the religious leaders and scribes. These are the people that really made the rules for people. Uh, They were really tidy in knowing all of the things about religion. They would have known the scriptures very well. In fact, Herod, he rushes to them and he says, Who is this Jesus guy? Who is this Christ? Where is he going to be born? Who is this kid that I need to get rid of? I mean, I'm the one I want to find. And they, well, that's, yeah, that would be the Messiah, the anointed one, Christos. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, which, yeah, that's according to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Do you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Yeah, between between two and five miles, depending on what route. And they didn't even go. This is the Messiah that they've been talking about. This is the one they've been coming to take their nation and and to wipe the Romans out. Why didn't they go? This is, be careful now. We could call it indifference. I'm going to say it this way. They were too busy with themselves. They liked it just the way it was. They had power. People looked to them with a great deal of favor. They were in charge. Why would we need a savior? Why would we need Jesus? Does that sound familiar? We don't need a Jesus. It's easy to miss one if you don't need one. Savior. He didn't care. Pride was amazing. Let's go back to Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 2. So far we've had three of people that have missed Jesus. Let's look at in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There's another group. Now, as, as you're turning there, you, you're wanting to read it already. Let's read it, and then we'll, you'll figure, what are you talking about? There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
You say, I thought some of you that missed it. Well, let's just put it this way. Let's say that the King of Kings, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, Christos, all of that, I mean, this is an elevated person, obviously, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, wouldn't he stay at the Hilton in downtown Jerusalem? Wouldn't you get arrangements? Wouldn't you have like the red carpet rolled out or white carpet, whatever? Makes sense, right? You know, have, have the cameras there, the photo ops. Little, you know, Joseph and Mary, can you imagine the notoriety? Two teenagers. Oh, my goodness, the son of God. No, no, what we did is we got the shepherds involved. They are the highest class imaginable in Jerusalem. You had to get a master's degree to be a shepherd. No. So what is it saying? Really, the whole city of Jerusalem missed Jesus. They missed Jesus. They were worshiping the right God the wrong way. They were actually... Their religion got in the way. That sounds odd to say it that way, doesn't it? And yet, there's so many places today that literally the religion is keeping people from seeing Jesus. <laughs> Jerusalem was no different. Now, the other thing that you need to be careful to understand this. I didn't mention this so far. Uh, you go from the Old Testament, Malachi would have been the, the last prophet that God used. And then you break into the New Testament where Jesus comes on the scene, literally. And before him, there was the forerunner called John the Baptist. So you have Elizabeth, what was her husband's name? Zacharias, okay. And so that was the first time that an angel, Gabriel, had come on the scene and spoke to anyone in Israel for 400 years. That would be like, we're in, just say we're in year, year 2000, so 1600 to 2000, nobody said nothing about God. Or God didn't appear. That would be it. That's a vacuum. That's a big silent period. And all of a sudden, here comes the Messiah. Really? Now, what happens when we have time all to ourselves? We become very entrenched in traditions and customs that probably have little to do with truth. That's where we find ourselves in the world today. There's so many traditions. And I, and I challenge you with that as well. How many things traditionally are we doing that have no bearing on the Bible. One of my favorite stories about traditions, and I've told it too many times, and we'll see if, if Paul, there, he's already, he's, I've heard it, I've heard it. Let me talk to you, there was, a, there was actually a newlywed couple, just got married, and their first gathering together, she was going to be entertaining family, and she bought a ham. And she took the ham out and unthought it, and the next morning, and of course, this husband being a newlywed, doing the right thing as a husband, he was going to help in the kitchen. Usually those activities don't last as long. Right, Jeff? <laughs> no, didn't mean to pick on anyone. It's, it's kind of that way. I mean, if you, it's better sometimes for men not to be part of that. And if you have great husbands that are cooks, fine, no problem. For me, you too. <laughs> okay. I told don't even the mouth. At any, rate, at any rate, let's keep moving the story along. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So, so anyway, the, he, so he's watching, he's attending, he's helping, you know, he's encouraging. And, and he watches his wife, 
And the first thing she does is she gets the ham and she gets the roaster out and she whacks off both ends of the ham. Just point, point, throws them in the garbage. Well, him being an inquisitive husband and having paid for the ham, why did we do that? To which she says, I don't know. That's the way mom did it. Well, let's call mom. So he calls mom. <laughs> why did we do what we just did? I don't know. That's the way my mom did it. Grandma did it that way. Oh, well, let's call grandma. So we call grandma. Grandma, why did we cut the ends off the ham before we put it in the roaster? Oh, she said, honey, I didn't have a big enough roaster to hold the ham. <laughs> and sometimes our traditions, you see what I'm saying? They're not even based on truth or sound science. They're not based on the word of God. And I'm, I'm going to say something now. If you're getting instruction or truth from anything other than the word of God, don't start there. Make sure that that, whatever it is, matches the word of God. The word of God is always the standard of which we measure truth by. That's why it's so convoluted today. There's so many people that don't start with the word of God. That's our source of truth. That's our source of truth. Traditions need to be not measured by anything else other than the word of God. Make sure that it fits. In fact, uh, an example of that is Peter. Just briefly, remember the sheet comes down? It's got all those goodies on here that <gasps> if you were a Jew, you wouldn't touch those things. They were all unclean. And God, and, 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 this, and this voice said, go ahead and partake. Oh, no, not me. Not ever would I do that. Those are unclean. And it comes down again. Same thing. What was God teaching him? Don't say what's unclean. When I say it's clean. And he was getting him ready to go out and minister to the Gentiles. Thank goodness you guys are here today because of what God did through Peter and the other apostles. Make sure traditions match the truth. Don't hide in the folds of religion. Don't hide in religion and think that you're spiritual. They were so secure in their religion that they wouldn't listen. Remember, what's Satan's ultimate disguise? Describe for us in Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. What's his ultimate disguise? No, and it's not the red outfit with the horns and this pitchfork. No, that's not it. An angel of light. I could name some cults that quite honestly say there was an angel of the light that appeared to me, and then there was something that was depicted for them that's totally contrary to the word of God. That's Satan. Don't hide in the folds of religion without countering it with truth. The whole city of Jerusalem missed Jesus. Let's go back. Where are we at? Where did I leave you? Luke? Let's go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. I want to talk a little bit more about the Romans. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. I didn't mention to you before, but he was the, uh, the emperor or the one in charge from 27 B.C. till 14 A.D. It was his idea to have a census, and the only reason for a census in any case usually is to tax. You need more taxes. He took the throne, if you will, from his great uncle Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was killed uh, by his friends. Uh, what kind of friends are those? Brutus. Those of you that have Roman history anyway. But he, uh, in his will, Julius Caesar's will, he gave everything to Octavius, which would have been his grandnephew. 
And this is the man that actually, literally, in this day and age, and I'll think, listen to this because this will make sense as we go on later. There was inscriptions, and you can find them even in, in some of that part of the world, that he was called the savior of the world, Caesar Augustus. Uh, Augustus is a name of high reverence. Caesar is just a name for a king or a leader. And it's interesting that the Romans in Jesus Christ's life were on the scene all of the time, weren't they? Uh, think of this, uh, the, the timing of this. Here's uh, Augustus Caesar, and he's got this great idea about taxing people. He said, you know, we need to have a census. I wonder when we should do that. Huh. Well, let me get a team in here, a committee. Let's kind of get this all set out, and let's get this all rolling. And then he lays out the first census, and guess what? He didn't set a date. So nobody did it. Would you? I mean, if April 15th came and the, and the IRS said, just send in your money when you can, Puh. I'll be honest, I'm the first one. Why? But then he said, you know what? These guys aren't, they're not really getting it. So let's set a date. It's interesting, isn't it? How God orchestrates all of these events and these dates so that at just the right time, Mary and Joseph, who would live 90 miles away in Nazareth, and Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that he will be born in Bethlehem. Now that was predicted 700 years before Jesus was born. Why don't you try that on? Here we are in the year 2000, we'll just round it off. In 2700 AD, we are saying something is going to happen because it's been predicted. If it's in God's word, it happens. It happens. Whoa! And at just the right time, now think of that. We have a nine-month pregnancy, and it's narrowing up. We don't find anywhere where Joseph says, you know what, we better time this, Mary. When we go to Bethlehem, we want to make sure that you have a child there because it says so in Scripture. You don't have any of that here. None of that. And yet, what did it work out? Perfectly. Perfectly. God used the Romans to his purposes. Now, why did the Romans miss Jesus? They were there at his crucifixion. They were there all through the time. Every, almost every phase of Jesus' life, they were there. Why did they miss it? This one here is going to be very close to home. Because of idolatries. Whoa, we don't have a lot of idols around. Yes, we do. They're just different. They're different. You see, today people worship money, sex, power, cars. I, in fact, I'm going to tell a quick story. One of my really, really good friend, which actually was killed a little over a year ago, in a conversation which was just a few days before he was killed. And this man was very successful. He had five or six Ford dealerships. Uh, God blessed him with making money. And he had a couple of cars. I don't know if I'm going to get the value quite right, but in the upper words of three hundred to $500,000 each, like original Mustangs, right? And he told me something that I thought was really, really good. He said, Larry, I found myself where I liked those cars too much. They were hurting my relationship with God, and I sold them. That's pretty good. That's not easy, by the way. <laughs> That's not very easy. In fact, he said, I, my wife and I went down, and we sold the one, and it was, I think it was 500000 bucks. Some, what, what's those fancy car auctions? What's the name of those? I think that's it. Obviously, I don't participate very often, so I don't know. But it's amazing how we can worship almost anything, isn't it? 
We can worship ourselves. In fact, uh, Caesar Augustus, you know what he really worshipped? Himself. It's easy for us to be so enamored with things, materialism, popularity, power. And when we're worshipping those, guess what happens? We miss Jesus. I have to say, though, as though Jesus Christ would have been hanging on a cross, crucifixion well on way, these executioners, this wouldn't have been their first time. This is what they did. This was their career. How would that be on your resume? Crucifixionist. Ay, 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 ay. How would you like to be his dog? Or his wife? Right? And yet, when the lights went out from noon to three, when Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, and there was an earthquake, that literally rocks were being shattered, they said, truly, that is the Son of God. Think of that. Think of that. That busted through a lot of that stuff, didn't it? But idolatry, easy to miss Jesus. Let's look at our last one, and then we'll, we'll review. But let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23. Actually, we should, let's just go back, uh, verse 21. We'll start in verse 21. Matthew chapter 2. This is speaking of how uh, when, when Herod found out that the wise men had kind of affronted him and already God had told Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt, In verse 21, it's showing him to come back now. He arose, verse 21, Matthew chapter 2, and took the young child, Jesus, and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. When they had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, that's the one that killed all the baby boys in in, uh, Bethlehem, when he had passed away, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called Nazarene. That's amazing again, isn't it? Just ends up, just, no, because God said it. Now you say, okay, what's the big deal there? Here's the big deal. What if Jesus Christ lived in Sheridan, Montana for 30 years? Would he stick out? Well, let's kind of watch this for a minute. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 39. Go back to Luke for a moment. Now, what do you know about his upbringing? Yeah, his dad, or his, uh, his stepfather, Joseph, was a carpenter. And I, I'm pretty sure Jesus swung a mean hammer. Luke chapter 2 and verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew... And waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, he went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as the return, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. And they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back. Now that's, that's disgusting, isn't it? If you're a parent... 
everybody's, you know, there's in this party, right? They're from Nazareth, and, they're, and they got this group of people that went into Jerusalem for the Passover, and everybody's got a great time. They do their stuff, and they head home, and they get a day's journey down the trail. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know where he's at? I don't know where he's at. So, I mean, how long did that take? Checking everybody's stuff, right? So what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem another day. Where's Jesus? Let's find out. It came to pass that after three days, <laughs> this is, it's worse. Not only is he not there the first day, they come back a day, then they look for him for three days. This is where Joseph and Mary would have been pretty irritated. Would you not have been? I remember leaving one of our kids in church and we drove home. <laughs> that didn't happen again, but, <laughs> but at least we knew where to get him, right? <laughs> three days, they're looking for him. Let's keep going. I'll get out of it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding. This is a 12-year-old kid. And he's asking theological questions that they can't even answer. Do you think he'd stick out? <laughs> Whoa. He came to pass, I'm sorry, verse 47, and all that heard him were, I'm sorry, I said that, verse 48. When they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dost thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. That, that's kind of a mom chastising her son just a second there. It's been five days. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Now that's wild, isn't it? Ooh. And he went down with them, came to Nazareth, was subject unto them. But his mother's kept all of these things in her heart. And Jesus increased, increased. He's, this is 12. I just told you about 12. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I think he would have stuck out like a sore thumb in Nazareth. Are you kidding me? This kid's 12 and can out maneuver theologians? And he's there how many years? 30. 30 years. 30 years. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Now, he just went into the wilderness, and Satan had tempted him. The Holy Spirit had been part of that endurance. Let's start now in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. Now, watch it. Jesus returned into the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all, and he came to Nazareth, that's hometown, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, we actually talked about this in Daniel a couple weeks ago. This is a whole different, think about it in a different thrust. He's reading out of a scroll. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, it says he closed the book. Now, if you were reading out of Isaiah, that would have been like reading a half of a verse and closing the book. Made no sense, but it was his first coming. It's, and he says this. He closed the book, he gave it to the minister, the servant, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, watch now, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He's literally saying, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, I am fulfilling it. Verse 22. 
And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's kid? And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, verily, I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And then he goes on, he talks about a couple of other things about Jews versus Gentiles. Now watch this in verse 28. This is in his hometown. He's been there for 30 years. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of a hill whereunto the city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of the woman his way. Now why did they miss him? The very same reason it happens to a lot of us with a lot of things, particularly about truth. But familiarity. I've heard this so many times. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter. What did you do with it? Familiarity. It's such a treacherous thing. And, and part of that comes in the fact of, oh, help me, procrastination. I've got time. I've got time. The Nazarenes missed it completely. In fact, even his family, we find, I'm not going to go there today, but he had five brothers and several sisters. And they didn't even believe in him. Now, I'm sure they were calloused. Because as they were growing up, think of it. Something went wrong. Somebody broke something. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It's amazing how that works around my operation, too. I didn't do it. I don't know nothing about that. But one thing they knew for sure, it wasn't Jesus. And Mary was quick to point that out, I'm sure. Oh, it's Jesus. Never Jesus. <laughs> so you'd kind of have a little bit of a bias, wouldn't you? Yeah. Mark it, though. Familiarity, very dangerous. So let's go back and review for a moment. We had our innkeeper. What was he? He was in... It was kind of ignorant busyness. Busyness. Followed by Herod, and his was a fear, a jealous fear. He was very concerned that Jesus was going to thwart his plans, his power, his commitment to being all that he was. Then we had the Jewish leaders, and that would have been a prideful indifference. They didn't care. Their deal was going good. And then the Jerusalem, how do you say that, Jerusalonians? Jerusalem, the Jerusalemites. There, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Religious ritual. How many people get lost in the folds of religion that they miss Jesus? Relationship versus ritual. Happens constantly. Then the Romans, they're false gods, idolatry. And then the Nazarenes, familiarity. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And then we're going to quickly show you what they missed. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. John 1, 10 starts this way. In verse 10. He was, this is speaking of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And we just talked about that, didn't we? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe 
on his name. Who did they miss? Turn back with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The one group that didn't miss him were the ones that were probably the lowest rung on the social ladder. They were the ones that maybe should have missed him, but look at verse 11 of chapter 2. We could do a whole sermon on Luke chapter 2 verse 11, but we won't. I hear sighs of relief. Luke chapter 2 verse 11. Now watch this carefully. I have this underlined in my Bible. For unto you, the unto you I have underlined. This is to you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. the, The angel's addressing it to you, shepherds, a Savior has been born, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior. The shepherds would have been drawn to that, actually. Think of this for a moment. Uh, if you have shepherds on the hillside surrounding Jerusalem in that area, there's a very high likelihood that they would have been taking care of sheep that would have been used for sacrifices in the temple. They would have known very clearly what a sacrifice and what a Savior, which God depicted himself all through the Old Testament. You know, sometimes we see a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God is kind of like this harsh, judgmental. And yet I could go through Psalms. We could spend a lot more time saying God is our Savior, particularly the Israel, to, to Israel. God has always been our Savior. And Jesus Christ is the way that literally he made a way for us as sinners. I'd like to spend our remaining time. Oh, one thing. I want you to see something that, that, that uh, Joseph knew. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start to close down now. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Are you still in Luke, by the way? Let's go back to Luke then for just a second. Verse 47, chapter 1. I want you to see something that Mary... Um, how would have you like to take in that phone call from the angel? And says, guess what, Mary? You are going to have a son. And you're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us. One little problem Mary has. Uh, I've never been with a man. How does that going to work out? With God, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Watch this in verse 47, verse 46, 47. Mary said this, verse 46. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Let's look at Joseph. Angel appeared to him as well. How would you like to have been that guy? You hadn't seen Mary for a bit. She was down to Elizabeth for three months. And she comes home and hadn't seen her in a while. Hadn't been texting or calling or anything like that. And you see her. And you say, Mary, you're so, you're so not the way I remember you. And he said, and it, you know, he's just this quiet, humble guy. He said, I'm going to have to divorce her because, I mean, I, this, I can't put up with this. And that very night, an angel appeared to him and said, no, no, what is within her is from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> How are you going to sell your friends that? You have a coffee break, you have a coffee shop, and uh, you go and, yeah, you won't believe this, guys. Mary's pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit. Why don't you try that one on sometime? But watch, watch this. Watch this. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20. Let's start right here. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But while he thought on these things, Joseph, being the angel of the Lord, appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Watch. For he shall save his people from their sins. He knew that this was a savior. And he walks the walk. That's what Mary and Joseph knew. Now let's go to 1 Timothy. Let's go back there. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Let's watch this develop. The Savior. This is who they missed. This is who people miss today in America and across the world when they walk away from Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Turn back to chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 3. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God at work. Turn with me to the little, the little letter of Titus. If you found First and Second Timothy, just move to the right. I want you to see something. In Titus chapter 1, Paul is unfolding and on, on, unpacking this. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Now watch. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Then turn with me down to chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 2 of Titus. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. For the grace of God that it bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purity unto him, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And now chapter 3 of Titus. This is such a rich book in regards to Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, we'll start in verse 3. Now watch carefully. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That sounds like someone without Christ. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is beautiful. And that's what we miss when we miss Jesus. Just as those people 2,000 years ago missed a Savior, they miss Jesus. He's still available today. He's the same Savior. 
He's the same Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God for what God gave us in Jesus Christ. Let's not miss him. Let's pray. Father God, what a beautiful picture that you have revealed through the scriptures. You pointed out the ways that people miss Jesus, the same as it is today, nothing really any different. It revolves in circles and cycles through the generations. But Father, thank you for showing us who Jesus is. He is the Savior of the world. It says in the scriptures that for all men have come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. That's not changed. There's still obituaries. There's still death around us. But it told us in Titus chapter 1 that literally God had planned from the beginning, before there was time, eternal life. We can't even comprehend the sense of that. And the only way that that would be possible would be we have a perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect Savior to save us from our sins, that by grace we are saved through faith. And even in these moments, as the Holy Spirit may be touching your heart, maybe He may be tugging at your mind, in the quietness of your heart, whether you've ever come this close or not, I don't know, but literally the Savior is wooing to you. Jesus is calling to you. Don't miss me. Don't miss me. Just call out to me. And when you ask him to forgive you of your sins, and when you accept him for who he is, that is the Savior of the world, and trust him with all that you are, then you have become a new creature in Christ. Literally all things have become new because that's what God does. God brought to pass because of this little babe in a manger a miracle of the Holy Spirit in Mary. To make life completely different because of what that little baby turned into as he hung on a cross of his own will. He endured it. And when he said it is finished and gave up the ghost, that was the end of the beginning. Literally guaranteeing as he rose from the dead three days later that eternal life would be those, would be to those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. Oh, Father, I pray for those that it's so easy to have truth diluted and to be fogged over in a world that's full of itself. Father, may not anyone miss Jesus. He's calling out for everyone to come to him. For God would that none would perish but all come to repentance. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful, perfect, sovereign, almighty plan. We praise your name. We lift it on high, thanking you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name.